morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Scott Brubaker. I'm a member of the Elder Council, and I'm privileged to give this message uh, to you today. Fire it up with the slides. Okay, so we're in the middle of two messages about a topic called the Judgment Seat of Christ and the Doctrine of Eternal Rewards. Okay, if you've never heard of that, if that's a new topic to you, pay attention, we'll catch you up. But if it's new, you missed last week, you may want to go uh, online and listen to last week's message to get the full um, idea of it. So, uh, slide, Ed. Okay, here's the big, here's the big idea. Here's the whole, whole thought here. Uh, as believers, Jesus Christ will evaluate our lives at the judgment seat of Christ uh, for how we lived after becoming Christians, and this review will have eternal consequences. We looked at the main scriptures last week. Okay, next slide, Ed. One of the main ones we looked at was 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the heavenly bema, that each one, each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Obviously, this is a very practical and important doctrine. Some of the points we developed last week, they're important. Rewards are different than salvation. Scripture encourages us to work for rewards, never to work for salvation, which is a gift to be received, not a reward to be earned. Okay? Salvation is God's work for us, appropriated by faith in Jesus and can never be lost. God doesn't want his children to worry about whether, where they will spend eternity, but he does want them to know about the judgment seat of Christ now so uh, they can prepare for that event. Rewards are our work for God under the power of the Holy Spirit and for God's glory. The reward is not getting to heaven. Heaven is never the prize. All believers get to heaven, but heaven won't be the same for everyone. Conversely, Loss of reward is not loss of salvation. Too few churches are teaching these doctrines, and too many Christians will be surprised and unprepared for this event in their lives. We only get one life to live, no do-overs, no second chances. We need to act on these things now by faith. By the time we get to the judgment seat of Christ, it will be too late to affect the outcome. Too many Christians will be as one just escaping through the flames, like we talked about last week, not being clothed in the righteous acts of the saints. Apart from your salvation, the judgment seat of Christ is the most important day in your existence, bar none. Uh, Just as sure as you're sitting in this room today, this event will occur. And today is about helping you see how you can be ready. Today, we'll take some of the points that we made last week, and we will make some practical application of them, okay? Please remember, overarching all of this is that God is the most generous being that ever lived. His rewards will reflect, reflect that, and I personally can't wait to see how he will take my meager, half-hearted, sin-tainted, works and make them beautiful. But I believe that 
he will by his grace. Okay? Critical point. The judgment seat of Christ is not about judging our sin. Jesus paid for that on the cross. Slide, Ed. Okay. The unfaithful believer will forfeit rewards, which he could have received for works God had prepared for him to do, but he will not be punished in the judicial sense of paying for his sins. Christ has already paid for those, as John explained well uh, today. Okay, some of the most beautiful words in Scripture, Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Amen, church? Amen. People who have not believed in Jesus will be judged for their sin at the great white throne judgment of Revelation 20, which we looked at last week, and is a very terrifying uh, scripture. Okay, so let's move forward. Let's learn what the Apostle Paul thought about the judgment seat of Christ from the passage in 1 Corinthians 9. Okay? Uh, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. I will not be disqualified from the prize. Paul was certainly not concerned about his salvation or worried about going to hell. He's the guy who wrote Romans 8. That starts with, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He wrote Romans 3. He wrote Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This guy was not worried about his salvation. He was, though, apparently, according to this verse, very concerned with receiving God's approval at the judgment seat of Christ, of not wasting his life, of investing his life in matters that God would find worthy of reward. He compares his life to the athletes training for 10 months for the Smithian Games, literally 10 months of agony. All, he says, for a crown that won't last. How much more investment should we make in getting a crown that will last forever? There are those who say, well, I'm not interested in the rewards thing, a crown, a commendation from Jesus. They don't interest me. I'll be in heaven. That's all that matters. Well, the person who wrote most of our New Testament, Paul, is not one of those uh, people. To the contrary, he says, I am very interested in receiving God's commendation, enough to be beating my body to make it my slave to achieve it. Paul also wrote in Philippians 4, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Straining ahead, pressing on, winning the prize. These are words of effort and sacrifice and dedication. Paul must have thought it would be worth it. And so will we. 
There are many in this room living for this event. A million years from now, we will all wish uh, we did. Okay, and by the way, um, if we read in Second Corinthians, Paul was given a glimpse of heaven, the third heaven, that he said was so amazing that he was not allowed to share what he saw. But there's a guy who has seen more than any other human being, and this is how he reacted to it. Okay, uh, Please take away some things from this passage. Ed, slide. The bestowing of rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, here's what I'd like us to get from that passage, is not automatic or incidental. It does not happen by chance, but by being intentional. Making sacrifices for and investments and investments in eternity now. It's of immense importance, and the results of it will last forever. I attended a Bible study for a whole summer with a guy who would only attend the study if it was in his home. As soon as the Bible study moved to somebody else's house, he dropped out. That was the extent of his willingness to sacrifice for the kingdom. If it literally came to him, I'm like, really, man, is that all you have for Jesus, for the one who died for you? You won't even go to another home to study the word? That guy will be ashamed and disappointed at Jesus' disapproval and rebuke of him for his laziness at the judgment seat of Christ, and he will suffer a huge loss. I think sometimes we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater, and sacrifice, effort, hard work, and dedication have become bad words for Christians. Don't fall into that trap. The judgment seat of Christ puts that into the right perspective. It's natural to want to sacrifice for God after all he's done for us. Do that, just don't do it to earn your salvation. So what is the criteria God will use to evaluate our lives? I'm going to start with the broad and work more and more specifically. Let's start with some things about God. Ed, on a slide? Okay. God knows everything about us, including our motives for what we do. This can be good, and this can be bad. Um, God values things of eternal significance over the temporal. Okay? Um, he pr- and God promises that our labor for him will always be worth it. What are some things we should be about in our short lives to impact our long eternity? Ed, slide. Here's just an overview um, of the, some of the criteria that God will uh, evaluate us on. Okay? What we do, why we do it, and how we do it. Okay? What we do. Okay? What we do, we must bring God glory. No matter what form it takes, the ultimate goal of our lives must be the glory of God. That his name would be great. That people would worship him in spirit and in truth that people would love him for who he has revealed himself to be and what he has done for us. That's the purpose. That's our purpose in life. And we are never more alive than when it is our focus. The only works we do that are worthy of reward will be those that brought glory to God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. 
So how do we bring God glory? One way is making disciples, helping others join the family of God and helping them grow up after they do. It's actually Crossing's short mission statement is to be and to make committed followers of Christ. In other words, we should be about seeking to fulfill the great commission in our lives. You know it. You know the words. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's Jesus' last command. It's his marching orders, if you will, and we will be evaluated on how much our lives revolved around it. You never have to wonder about what God wants you to be doing. There are countless applications to this, but in some way, shape, or form, in all that we do, we need to be concerned with helping people begin a relationship with God and helping them grow in that relationship. Another important concept to bring God's glory is to be a good ambassador for him. Faithfully representing our home country, heaven, Philippians 3.20, tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. We are, as ambassadors, to be sensitive to the foreign culture we're in, this world, but never fully consumed or comfortable in it. We are aliens and strangers here for a short time on a mission for Jesus. Jesus says in 2 Corinthians 5, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Why we do what we do. Our motives matter. Slide, Ed. Okay. Our motives matter. 1 Corinthians uh, 4, Paul writes, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time, Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Our motives are huge to God. Why did we do what we did? Three questions, maybe, can help us check our motives. Under whose power did we operate? Did we, do, did we power through our ministry work and circumstances on our own? Or did we depend on the Holy Spirit? for energy, wisdom, and grace. I believe the more we are operating under the power of the Spirit, the less we will be concerned with the outcome or results of something, how much or how many or how deep or impactful, and the more we will be concerned with our heart's attitude. Was God pleased? Did it honor him? Was he represented well? For whose glory did we work, ours or God's? And whose praise did we seek? other people's, or God. Success, in the sense the world knows it, has little to do, I believe, with our evaluation at the judgment seat of Christ. Motivation and faithfulness have everything to do with it. How we do it. Uh, uh, Ed, slide, please. How we do it. Faithfulness. We do it being faithful as a steward. Tim talks about this. A lot. Steward is a manager of someone else's uh, possessions. Uh, there are things, there are resources that God has loaned to us for his purposes, and, and they are to be used by us for his glory. 
Here are some things maybe you haven't thought of as being resources or opportunities God has given you and expects you to be faithful to use for his glory time. We all have the same number of hours in a week. Some people seem to use theirs better than others, and all of, all of us wish we had more hours. Um, again, some more opportunities and some more resources God has given you. Your personality. Are you likable, outgoing, friendly? Are you studious or a deep thinker? God wants to use you just as you are. Your physical appearance. Your relationships. As we know, the gospel travels through relationships. Your family, as husband and wife, as parents to your children. They are your most important mission field, and you need to focus on them first. And then Pastor Tim's talked about that, your circumstances. Were we in a position of influence or authority or a servant? Faithfulness in life experiences God has entrusted to us. In my case, cancer and the death of our son. I didn't bring those nor want them, but I was nonetheless called to allow God to use them. To some, God has entrusted difficult circumstances, hardships, bad marriages, wayward children, financial distress, sickness, and so forth. To some, the lines have fallen in pleasant places. But what he does expect is that through all of it, good and bad and in between, we will be faithful stewards of the circumstances he's given us for him. Faithfulness in divine appointments. Those things that just couldn't happen by chance. How many of these do I miss as I rush about my day from one task to another, not noticing the continual stream of people, all of whom loved by God, that I interact with? God is constantly arranging divine appointments. We need to be sensitive to them and step in them when we can. The question uh, to all of this, were these things which are really God's possession and his creation, which he temporarily loaned to us, were they discharged faithfully, wholeheartedly, sacrificially to the benefit of the owner, God, not the manager, us? Okay, slide please, Ed. There's a simple uh, principle involved here. In Luke 12, Jesus said, to whom much has been given, much will be expected. If you've got a long list of opportunities and resources that God has given you, he is going to expect more results uh, for him. Okay? Uh, Let's talk about money. Uh, Speaking of resources that God has entrusted to you, that God will expect you to use for him, let's talk about money. Let's talk about uh, an overarching principle in the use of money related to what we just uh, did. Ed, slide, please. I'm sorry. You know what, Ed? Can you go back? Sorry, I messed you up there. Here's the principle on money. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Okay? Simple enough. Application, not so simple. Um, Principle of it is. And please take this little talk on money seriously. As wealthy people, I am convinced that our attitudes towards the use of money will be a major part of our review at the judgment seat of Christ and will be a big part of our eternal rewards or loss of reward. 
God has given us gobs of it, more than any other people in history. And we rarely talk about it, but God does. 15% of all Bible verses involve money. Jesus talked more about money than heaven and hell combined. And I am convinced, unfortunately, that the following scripture applies to me and to many of us. Okay, Ed, scripture, next, next slide. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you fool. That's what God said to him. Um, At this point, uh, I'm more sharing some personal convictions about some of these things than maybe what the church necessarily feels about them, so that's like a little code word to say if you're offended or challenged by what I'm going to say. I got Tim to look up on that one. Uh, you can blame me <laughs> and not the church. <laughs> but um, we love to put ourselves up in bigger and bigger suburban barns with yards, cars, and toys, don't we? Okay? Don't tune this out because you don't think you have money. If you're sitting in this room, you do. You may spend too much of it on yourself with nothing left over for God, but you have money you will be accountable for every penny. Um, I'm convinced that we we, we fail uh, to, um, to give money, enough money to God, not because we don't want to be generous, but because we spend too much of it on ourselves with nothing left for him. Besides, Since giving is proportional, a Christian with $5 is just as accountable for what he does with that money as a person with $100,000 is. And most of us are somewhere in between. God wants us to understand the difference between spending money and investing money. The difference is that we invest money with the intention to receive a return on it. We spend it with the intention to receive a return on it, we spend it to see it again. The hard part is that investing money for God, the returns are great, but they're generally delayed to the next life. Jesus promised Peter a 10,000% return on his life investments for the kingdom in Matthew 19. Okay. In response to Peter's question, what's in it for us? Jesus Jesus said, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. God looks at money so differently than we do. He really says some unexpected things in regards to money. Uh, Some things about money. Ed, next slide. Some things about money we should know. Everything belongs to God. That is the most important thing to know about money. If we get that right, if we understand that, much of the rest of this will fall into place. We are stewards, not owners of our money. Money is loaned, not owned. Okay? 
The next statement, maybe the, the term is, uh, the, phrase, the word is new to you, it was to me, but I think the concept won't be. Money must be transmuted. Money must be transmuted into more lasting investments to be of eternal value. Money has no value to God as money. It must be changed into something of value or it will be lost. Ed, next slide. If I had, <clears throat> if I had a $50 bill and my child needed medicine, the cash is of no value, right? I have to go to the drugstore, turn that cash into medicine that will make my child well. Since I can't eat the money, I also change some of it on the way home at the store to buy food. So it is with our money. Sitting in the bank or in an investment, it is of no value to us for eternity or God. It must be changed into something of value. In this case, the lower form needs to be changed to a higher form. Supporting a missionary, supporting our church, feeding the hungry, meeting physical needs. The point is we need to change our money into forms that will bring God glory. For one year, I did deferred compensation at work. Um, But then uh, I stopped. I realized that I'd rather be funding my ERA, my eternal retirement account, than my IRA, and stopped and put that extra money into things of eternal value, as I'll explain below. I'll be glad I did that a million years from now. When I had cancer and realized that I might die, I didn't want to die with too much money in the bank, as strange as that sounds, but that was a thought I had. That money would have brought no glory to, me, to God and no reward to me if it had sat there forever. I also know someone who is yearning for retirement but is continuing to work so he can support his church and ministries bringing God glory around the world. That would be me. Staggering to the finish line. If it wasn't for the judgment seat of Christ, I promise you I would have retired five years ago. But I'm glad that I didn't, and every year I can hang in there continue to support the ministries that give me so much joy, I know a million years from now I'll be glad. Did you get the the importance of the concept of transmutation? It's a really important concept that I'm not sure is well understood. A couple quick illustrations about it. Um, World War II is over and Germany lay in ruins. There was a little old lady who had been saving her money to, um, to repair the Sunday school building that had been destroyed in the war. And she was holding on to this money, and finally, one day, she decided, I'm going to go and give my money. But what she failed to realize is the day before, the German government had canceled their currency, and her money was worthless, which she had worked so hard for, was not able to do what she had wanted so badly for it to do because she had hung on to it for too long. Okay, contrast that with the European princess who wanted to build orphans' homes. She went to her husband. She said, I really appreciate all this jewelry you bought me, but I really want to support the building of orphans' homes. And he said, okay, you can. So she did, and one day she came, she came home, and he saw the smile on her face, and she said to him, I found my jewels. I found my jewels, and she found them in the bright, shiny eyes of the orphans who were living in that home she had built, okay? 
Contrast that with the diamond commercial. I don't know if you saw it, but it says, looking at a diamond ring, it says, what else will she treasure for a thousand years? Right? Well, she's not going to be treasuring that diamond ring a thousand years from now. If she transmuted that diamond ring into something of eternal value, she would be. Okay? Um, Next slide, Ed. Go ahead. Okay, next slide is that money is a test of our loyalties, okay? Good job, Ed, on the slide. Um, Jesus said in the parable of this rude manager, uh, Jesus said, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted uh, with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So, and here's our verse. So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. So, money is a test of loyalty. God will determine our loyalty to him by how we manage our money now. It's not my idea. Not my thought, but it is God's, implying that our responsibilities of ruling with Christ in heaven will be greater if we are trustworthy with God's money now. Also, I guess from this verse, I guess money is not true riches. I guess the privilege of ruling with Christ is of greater riches. Okay? And if you've not been trustworthy with, with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Apparently, If we're faithful with God's property now, he'll give us something we will truly own for eternity. Okay? What did missionary Jim Elliott say? A couple of you probably know this. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Money must be our servant or it will be our master and i need to close here a couple other really quick things about money (laughs) that god incredibly god challenges us to test him in his faithfulness to money malachi 310 next slide ed Uh, one more okay god says malachi 310 he starts off with and then we'll catch up with the slide will man rob god yet you are robbing me But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Test me in this, says God. This is the only place I know of in Scripture that God is inviting us to test him to see if he's real and will keep his promises, that if we honor God with our money, he will meet our needs. See if I won't throw open the floodgates and pour down blessing upon until there is no more need. See if God won't bless to meet our needs, and usually because he's generous, and then some, um, he meets our needs, and then some by a lot. Again, God is the most generous being that ever lived. You can't outgive him, and he challenges us to try. I can personally attest to the truth of the scripture. Want to go on an adventure? Test God's faithfulness 
in the area of money. Test him. Go ahead. See if you can outgive him. Uh, one more. Let's see. Next uh, slide, Ed. I'll be closing up in a second here. Um, what Apostle Paul wrote uh, to the Philippians in their matter of giving. Um, he said, um, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Okay, here's the slide. Paul said, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. More be credited to your account. Paul wanted the Philippians to give to support his mission work, not for his benefit, but for theirs. Not for his benefit, for theirs. Okay, close up here. I'm, not, I'm personally passionate about that and convinced in my life my money can do more for God's kingdom than I can. For such a time as this, wealthy people like us can make tremendous contributions to finishing the Great Commission worldwide by lowering our standard of living, living with a few less conveniences, a few times less out to dinner, um, used car versus a new and not cluttering our lives with so much stuff, um, rather, than, um, go, rather than go ourselves to the mission field, our money goes very far overseas. I'm not saying don't support our church, and I love all our missionaries, Rich Mears included, uh, and they do amazing work and should be supported. What I am saying today, there are a variety of opportunities for our money to bring glory to God. Some not requiring very much by supporting, sending, or resourcing our missionaries and others. Um, why don't you start small and see how it feels and how God reacts? That's what we did. I love waking up every day knowing because God gave me life today and more money than I need to live on, someone somewhere in the world is hearing the gospel and has a chance to go to heaven. Okay? Estimates are that for every study Bible that goes to China, 50 people become Christians. For $10, you can send a Bible and 25 crystal clear tracts to Burma where literacy rates are high, but there's really nothing for people to read, so they read them. Conservative estimates are that $10 can, believe it or not, impact 1,000 people for Christ. So for the price of your last trip to Starbucks, you could have impacted a village for Christ. Hmm. Do you get this? So few people get this. This is supporting the Great Commission in a efficient and effective way. Real quick, so didn't have time to do a lot of stuff, but let me close with this. So your life is flying by. Your life is flying by. Don't waste the precious life God has given you. You've got a one-on-one meeting scheduled with Jesus. I don't know if it's tomorrow or 20 years from now, but it is on your calendar. No do-overs, no timeouts or reruns. Your clock is ticking. So be the Sunday school teacher, be the nursery worker, um, set up chairs and the snacks and do snacks and communion. Do sound, hand out bulletins, greet visitors, clean the bathrooms, do whatever else you can, and know that God is watching and God won't forget. Take God at his word, rest secure in your salvation by believing that Jesus died for you. Then, under the power of the Holy Spirit, for God's glory, invest in eternity to hear the very definition of a successful life. Slide, Ed. (coughs) Uh, One more more slide, Ed, sorry. Skip that one. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Wouldn't that be 
a great way to end your time on earth is to hear that from God. And now you know about it, and I'm encouraging you to work towards it. Two quick things. Um, got some books. I didn't think of all this stuff myself. Um, Offer them in light of eternity by Randy Alcorn. Treasure principle is kind of the money. There's some of it. I encourage you continue this conversation with God. Read these books and others. It is a topic. Obviously, couldn't do it justice in a couple of weeks. Continue this discussion with God. Continue pursuing this. It will be worth it. Okay. Praise God. Thank you.